Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, Joshy here. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Doc underscore Joshy. Uh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Thomas Buff. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, and surprisingly, I'm a massive Walls fan. Uh, you can get me on Twitter by tweeting at WallsBlog. Really looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Although none of us have had a particularly good week, which could leave a sour note uh, throughout this show. But thanks so much for joining us. Uh, up first, I want to talk about uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, of course, uh, pushed uh, Arsenal to their win over Tottenham, much to my chagrin. But he gets two goals today. Since coming to the Premier League, he's level with Salah for the most goals scored in the Premier League. He's the first to reach 10 in the league this season. Where does he rank for you guys among the elite strikers in the Premier League? Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, clearly he's having a good season. He has a fantastic record in Germany, so he, he did come with a bit of pedigree. Question marks over his temperament but uh, before he came, but he's clearly doing a good job. Uh, it's difficult to say where he ranks when you start talking about the elite strikers in the Premier League, right? Because you're talking about the likes of Aguero and Kane currently playing. And if you're talking, I'm assuming you're not talking about sort of historically, you're just sort of Correct, current yeah. batch. Yeah, so he is right up there. But when when you consider the likes of Aguero and Kane, they've been doing it for, you know, year on year for several seasons. And that's kind of when you can judge these players. But given his record in Germany and the start he's had this season and, and the number of goals he's scored, you can't you, know, you can't really say that you have to acknowledge the, the the quality that he's got. So he's probably in the tier below that. But um, in terms of when you're considering the Premier League, um, uh, but yeah, he's if he continues like this, then there's going to be no real argument, is there? He's going to have to be ranked alongside those sort of top level strikers. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with all of that. Um, I suppose the only disappointment for Arsenal is that they've got him when he's, you know, he's in his peak, 28, 29, but, you know, it's not, they're not going to get many years out of him the same way that Man City have done with Aguero and, and Tottenham will continue to do with Kane. Um, you just wonder that, you know, a player like him who's so much about pace and athleticism, um, you know, how many good years he's got left ahead of him, but certainly at the moment. Um, I think even since he's, ever since he's been in the Premier League, he's had a good start this season, but, you can see last last season, even when he wasn't scoring goals, he was assisting goals. Um, he's just prolific in the final third. So he's a very, very good player. And I think you saw with the the finish today, particularly that snapshot from the edge of the area that was past Lloris before he even moved. You know, that that's the mark of a really top striker. So, um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed watching him. And I think he's part of the reason Arsenal really, are really starting to fire now. 
Yeah, it seems really strange at the start of the season, he was kind of either sat for La Cazette or played out wide. Um, not to besmirch any other guests here, but it kind of reminds me of when Martial and Rashford were shunted out wide. And he was like, that's not going to be how you get the best out of them. Um, but is, in terms of whether or not what he's doing is sustainable, it, it's very strange because his shot accuracy is way worse than it's ever been in his career, just 42%. But his finishing percentage, which is goals out of shots on target, is 77%, which is the highest in his career. So, uh, like, if, if those regress, are we just going to see what we're already seeing? Because the the amount of shots he's taking is going to rise. The rate at which they're on target is going to rise. But then the rate of shots on target going in is going to decrease. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see. But if there was, like, a player comp, he's like a rich man's Jamie Vardy in that title-winning season. But even that year, he, Vardy finished with, like, more than 100 shots. And I don't think Aubameyang's on pace for 100 shots right now. Um, so that's it's just it's a statistical oddity. Obviously, players with pace need fewer chances in order to score goals um, just because the, the quality of those chances is higher because um, of the amount of them that are just one-on-ones or just a defender in the keeper as opposed to facing a whole back four. But um, it, it, I just don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain this. But I don't know, not in a negative questioning way, just like statistically it's very odd that those numbers are so askew compared with his career line um but obviously we've seen the talent we've seen the kind of finishing like you mentioned today um beating Larice before he even moved which i'm sure raised ire in some podcast hosts um but uh yeah he, he's <laughs> obviously very good and uh, i do i do agree with you joshy i do have a bombing just behind kane and aguero um, but kind of like you were saying, I feel like that's historically based. Like we've seen it from them longer. So we don't have those questions like the one I just asked about whether Aubameyang can keep it up. But in terms of current form, like I said, since he came to the league, Aubameyang has been better. Although it is worth asterisking that uh, Aguero was injured down the, the back half of last season. Yeah, but I mean, when you're talking about it's, uh, the Premier League, it's a small sample size, isn't it? And you, you alluded, it to, yeah. alluded to it earlier by saying... If, when he regresses, so if though that shot accurate, uh, the finishing percentage regresses towards the mean, right? He's basically riding the crest of a wave on that front. Then yeah. that could sort of balance out, um, and and he might be having. And this is why when Kane first came on the scene, it was kind of like, is he having an anomalous season, like a one, you know? And we, the the layperson's term would be, is he a one season wonder? Mm-hmm. But actually, that's what, and that's why you sort of go, okay. But over the years, he's kind of proven that he isn't. He's just a top-level striker that's very good at lots of, uh, at pretty much everything you need to be good at as a striker. Um, he's not, you know. So for Kane, I don't think he's particularly. He's not particularly quick. He's not particularly amazing in the air. As in, you know, he's not the. He's obviously good at everything. That's so. But then overall, that gives you that package. Mm. But with Aubameyang, you've got he's exceptionally quick and i to be honest when i watched him i um the few times i've watched him i didn't think he was a natural finisher uh that said like i said it's only been a few times so it surprises me that he's got that sort of shot percentage or that finishing or goal conversion percentage yeah 10 goals on 13 shots on target yeah that's gonna come that's gonna reduce isn't it you're gonna see that um that's just again like he's on the that's not a freak that is kind of freak statistics isn't it so that will change but then if he's taking more shots like you said so 
we'll see how it goes and, and that's why you need that long-term kind of view of it yeah we'll definitely keep an eye on this one especially if he stays at the top of the scoring charts um next up i wanted to talk about uh manager strengths and weaknesses unfortunately at the other end of obama yang's day was tottenham losing um my personal view on mauricio pochettino in this one is that he waited way too long he waited until the game was gone before making any changes um whereas uh, arsenal's manager made his changes at the half um and then it just was never really responded to um and for pochettino for me it feels like um, his strength and weakness are actually pretty similar, and it's trust in his tactics and players. But if things aren't working, he seems hesitant to change it because he believes so much that they'll turn around. And the trust in the players is obviously good for your best players, but on in a match like today, obviously Juan Foyth has had a very interesting start to his Premier League uh, career. Um, did very well against Chelsea last week, but to play a kid that young in the North London Derby over somebody like Toby Alderweireld was strange. Obviously, Sissoko in a very good run of form. Again, maybe not in this one, although he was fantastic about against Chelsea and Inter. But when Pochettino says he doesn't have a first team and a second team, he means it. He literally trusts in every player that wears a Tottenham shirt. But obviously, that's not really how football works. There are naturally players that are better than others. And at times, I think... That mindset, while so good to creating a culture, can be damaging in individual matches. And and in terms of the players that are on the pitch versus the ones that are available, trusting in the system that he set up instead of making changes uh, leaves him vulnerable, especially with a lead. Curious to get your guys' thoughts on your manager's biggest strengths and weaknesses. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I would probably mirror your answer uh, for Nuno at Wolves. I think his biggest strength is his biggest flaw. Like uh, it's. You know, he's got one way of playing. He's got a firm belief in how, how Wolves should be set up. Um, and he does not deviate from that. Um, and last season in the Championship, it served him very well because it didn't matter who we were playing, whether we were playing a team who wanted to play the ball through the thirds or wanted to launch it long from defence. He he stuck to his guns and said, we're going to play how we want to play. I think in the Premier League, he's been found out a little bit, particularly in the last five or six games, because... Teams are much more tactically versatile, which is kind of what you were saying, Kev, about you know Tottenham not responding to Arsenal's changes today. And I just think you know the teams have discovered a way to play against Wolves um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, when that gets discovered, it's latched upon by by all the other teams. So I think he's going to have to dig deep now and and really consider whether we need to you know change how we play and modify it slightly, or you know have a plan B. Uh, because otherwise it can be very difficult. But um, but I still think he's, you know, having that belief. I think every manager's got to have an ethos and got to have a, a way of playing. Um, and although they have to modify that at times, I think it's important that they they maintain consistency and that, and that belief, because otherwise it can fall apart very quickly. Yeah, Josh, yeah I mean, oh, sorry. I was, yeah, sorry, I was, I was just thinking deeply there about what Mourinho's uh, greatest strength is right now. And... Um, it's a difficult one, right, given the situation we're in. But I think, unfortunately, well, not, I don't know, his biggest strength has been in the past um, getting the group of players to trust him. You know, like that, that almost siege mentality. They become, you know, uh, us against the world type um, uh, sort of mentality. If you think back to... His, his days at Chelsea when he first came, Porto, 
even at um, you know in Inter, the players loved him. Right, they they just would run through brick walls for him. I'm not feeling that anymore, but I would say that just over the course of his career, that's probably his biggest strength. Um, and I guess if you're going to talk about what it is now, he is he still has this ability uh, to sort of when he's got these big one-off games to try and to set the team up in a way to sort of nullify the opposition and, and get a result. That being said, he's not this season. He's just it's just not it's not happening. And I'd say his biggest weakness is he's he's stubborn. He's obstinate. He can't change. Um, his sort of mentality on how things should be done, um, you know, his way is the only way kind of thing. And I don't know, you know, I guess when things are going well, that I would say that's a great strength. He just like goes with it and he's, he does what he wants to do, doesn't really care about what um, other people say. But at the moment, it's not helping. And uh, it's just, it's frustrating, actually. A lot of the decisions he's making at the moment I really don't understand. Like we've had a lot of injuries at in, uh, in at the back, um, so we've got we had one fit central defender for the match against Southampton. So what does he do? He plays a formation with three central defenders, and I just I was sitting there going, how I just don't understand the thinking behind that. And he's put in Scott McTominay at centre back, a kid basically who's not that good. He's you know solid player. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna sort of have a go at McTominay I'm just wondering what Mourinho is doing putting him in there it was basically I just not understanding his decision makers there's a lot wrong at the moment at the club and Mourinho is a big part of that but then the players it's just a bit of a shambles but yeah his biggest weakness at the moment is this inability to sort of change his his thinking you know that I guess a lot of people have said it like football's evolved and perhaps he hasn't evolved with it there's, there's obviously a lot more, it's a lot more complex than that, but that's potentially what is what what, what uh, the biggest weakness is at the moment. It's quite interesting that all three of us kind of said the same flaw with all <laughs> of our managers that, you know, because we've all had a defeat and, you know, yeah, well, not you, I suppose, but it feels like a defeat anytime Man United don't beat anyone. But it's, um, you know, managers, they, they would probably argue that they've got to where they've got three managers who've done very well. I mean, I suppose Nuno's not on the same level as, as your two, but he's been successful. Um, they'd probably say they've got to where they've got to, doing the things they do their way. Um, so why, you know, maybe that you know, that stubbornness and that belief in that how they do things, you know, is is why they've got to where they've got. Um, yeah, but- absolutely. And, and I totally think that that's correct. So, uh but it's kind of that what at least I, you can see with Wolves and Spurs that, that that stubbornness is more of a belief in the way they see how football should be played, right? So it's like, you know, both teams are good to watch. Um, it has its, obviously, you know, you're coming off uh, losses, but both teams are good to watch, play good football. Um, and there is a sense of identity to the way in which they play. Yeah. Whilst at United, after two and a bit years, it's still kind of like, what is the way we're going to play? Ultimately, it's just, I, I really wouldn't be able to describe to you what the game plan is from match to match. It's It, it just it depends on, you know, we have a different formation, we have different personnel, um, 
does there's no kind of set standard way of playing you yeah. wouldn't be able to describe it and then that's i think the slight difference between the 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 magnet managers but absolutely the, the whole you have to be stubborn and believe in yourself uh if you're gonna sort of otherwise you're just basically going to crumble at the slightest bit of pressure right so yeah, that's interesting that, that obviously Nuno and, and Pochettino are younger than Mourinho. So it, it, does it, to you, does it feel like Mourinho's a little too set in his ways at this point in his career while the other two still have like room to kind of grow? Well, potentially, but Mourinho, it's, again, I think it's because we're just you know, on, off the back of a, a poor season or so far. Um, it's it is easy to just go into the negatives like at the end of say when we won the the europa league last season we finished second it was a poor second but we finished second um you know you, you could potentially say look he's he we, that's progression for united compared to what we were doing under van Hal and moyes right so you could say fair enough he's 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 still doing decent things given the way even uh, even though apparently he's passed it. But now it's quite easy to just say, yeah, it might be that he's set in his ways, he needs to evolve, whatever it is. And it's difficult because it's, it's, we're on the outside looking in. We don't know what's going on. And uh, it's way more complex than just the fact that he's set in his ways. But I do think you can just see on the pitch that he, there's something... He, 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 it may not be that he has to change drastically the way he does things uh, from what he's done in the past because if you remember his inter sides his real madrid sides his first chelsea side and when he came up they were really good attacking teams like i remember damian duff and iron robin like on the wings tearing it up and at real madrid they record number of goals in a season you know so i just i'm not i know there were different level of players at real madrid but at the same time there's just even none of that excitement and directness and pace and quickness about the place. So I just have no clue what, what, what it is that needs to change. And it is worth noting that where this topic started was, what's your manager's greatest strength? And as always with Mourinho, it has kind of descended um, into oh, his well, I mean, madness. Look, over <laughs> I'm, I'm not accusing you of doing it. It just, it just seems yeah. like when discussing him, it always has to go that way. At the moment, yeah, but the th- over the years, you, you know, there's, he's obviously got a fantastic managerial record, and and I did say, he's like, oh, actually, I don't know where his great greatest strength is right now, but he's obviously an amazing manager, one of the best records of all time. It's just right yeah. now, it's difficult to see what it is, or how it will improve soon, as you were saying. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, uh, next up, uh, Tottenham, of course, not the only team to suffer a derby loss today. Uh, Everton were there or thereabouts. Um, but it seems like they're finally starting to figure things out and might start to, if not just pick points off of, might start contending for one of those top six six spots. Do you guys agree with that? Or is there somebody else that you think might sometime in the near future be able to kind of break the, the deadlock that the quote-unquote big six have at the top of the table? Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think you look you look at Everton, who I believe are sixth as we as we talk. Um, they look like they've got the the quality in their team. I watched their game against Liverpool today. Um, they acquitted themselves very well, controlled that game quite well at, for periods. Um, and yeah, throughout the team, it looked really good. I mean, that clutch of players they brought in from Barcelona has obviously taken them up a level. 
Um, they had some good players anyway. Ricarlison's a good player. Sigurd Arsene, they spent 45 million on last season. So I think, on you know, if you're talking about the strength of squad, it's hard to look beyond Everton um, in that next bracket. But um, I think the other, the other two teams, the only other two teams who, who may even come close are, are Leicester and, and possibly Bournemouth. But I think both of those two teams are just a bit too flaky um, in terms to you know in terms of consistency um, to get the results that would be needed to push for the sixth. So um, without wanting to monopolise the conversation, I'll let you have your say. But yeah, I think I think probably Everton. I, I couldn't see this season anyway. Um, I couldn't see beyond them for six. They're more Man United for six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. I mean, obviously United are traditionally part of that top end of the table. But yeah, I think I, I agree. It's, it's Everton have the have the it's the I think they've they've got the best chance of making that step. Not just because of the of where they are now, because they are obviously in six, but they've um, they've got a uh, a good, a good progressive manager, um, and they've got a squad that it looks looks pretty exciting on paper in terms of creativity and uh, you know going forward. But also they've got that sort of um, financial sort of backing now, uh, and that's the difference. I think uh, they they've got that stability from that side of things, um, so they can bring in the players and almost more so than before write off poor transfers and, and still go out and, and bring people in. Um, but I think they're, they've just got a good setup at the moment in terms of the, the manager. The worry is I would say is if they do go on a bit of a blip because they're still a fairly new squad of players together trying to trying to, and, and with the new manager and stuff, if they do go in, in, in a sort of blip of form, whether the, board stick with the the manager i think they will i don't think they just get rid of him they, they sort of went through a lot to get him um but yeah i think i don't think any other club really has the setup um to to to, to challenge consistently uh yeah so i, I definitely go, i would say everton yeah uh with all of us kind of thinking that they have the best chance either this year or going forward do do we think that they could ever reach above that? I mean, they do have you know they have a richer owner than the, well, I think Tottenham still technically do, but he isn't involved at all. Like, could could they establish themselves up there, or is this more of like because they've done this before? It was like three or four years back when they finished fifth. Like, is this more of like a flash in the pan, or or like you were kind of saying, do they have the kind of sustainability to push from here? I think they. Um, I think. I don't think it's the closed book it used to be. I mean, you, you, if you look at the history of the Premier League, you know, we had a we had a top two and we had a big four and then it's sort of expanded now to, to a big six. And I, th- I think it's a natural progression that because there's so much money in football and there's so many teams who, uh, you know, want to push on all the time, I think that, that it's inevitable that that top six will, will come under challenge. Um, it's just a case of whether... Any team can, over a course of a number of seasons, um, you know, build up to something. Uh, the hope, obviously, was that Leicester might kick on after that title win, but it didn't really happen. They, they, a lot of players immediately left, and they weren't able to build on it. And that, that's a big problem because whenever teams in that next clutch seem to do well, their players get picked off by the big six. But I, I think that seems to happen less and less now. Um, 
So it's quite interesting. I, I do think I do think we'll see someone um, pushing that top six in, in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, you're right. The the clubs are able to resist the the sort of advances of the the top end clubs in terms of uh, when when they come in for the better players. Obviously, Leicester have lost. You know, the the two that the Kante and uh, Mares at, at various points. Um, but I think Everton will will be able to resist that and 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 Mourinho actually alluded it alluded to or actually just outright said it you know back in the day United could go out and we went out and bought Tottenham's best player you know when it was yeah, like you would have had Kane and Carrick. yeah we would have yeah back if if this was 10 years ago United would have gone out and just been like all right well we'll have Harry Kane thanks or could have done right so uh but now clubs can can keep their players and that's why you've got that strength in that top six um and then everton with this again the the owner is what net worth of around two billion dollars he's not he doesn't necessarily i mean you could go in for ridiculous money and then that would get you the player but i think they will be able to retain players who perform at a high level it's for a certain period of time and that's the thing can they break into the let's say um you know, like that Richarlison, he's a young Brazilian guy. He's doing well. If he can really, if he can kick on and looks like he's going to be a really top player, will they be able to resist? Will he, as a player, be able to resist uh, an advance from a Champions League team, for example? So that's the bit. So the other teams like United, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, I know there are only four Champions League spots, but they all realistically at the beginning of the season can say that they will be challenging for those spots so they're more likely to retain their players but if you if for example arsenal missed the champions league three four seasons in a row or three seasons in a row you'd see some of those players move on like the uh, to, to 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 guaranteed champions league teams mm-hmm. someone like richarlison may be looking at spain for example if he was if he does kick on and look like he's going to be the a, a top level player. Yeah, especially if it's up look, front. Especially if he, he continues yeah. to play as a forward. Exactly. So, so, but I think Everton have that ability to resist those uh, for a while. Um, those advances, but it is actually it is extremely competitive from that point of view in terms of retaining players. But City are just a ridiculous side. So, from that regard, it's not really that competitive <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, and uh, just to wrap this up, um, if you haven't seen the goal that Everton conceded to lose their derby, go do so unless you're an Everton fan and then you already saw it, and I'm very sorry that that happened to you. All right, now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Joshua, we'll lead in with you talking about Manchester United. Um, this season, you've already had something like seven or eight midfielders play more than 400 minutes just curious to get your take on what united's best midfield looks like to you um so this is all theoretical right because we haven't played well in so long it's difficult for (laughs) me to say exactly um uh what the the best midfield would look like but look we played we started with five central midfielders in our lineup against Southampton. I was looking at that lineup and I was just I was like, what the hell? Because we what we had McTominay, Matic, Fellaini, Pogba, Herrera. Yeah. And then, you know, Fred, Fred on the bench. So in theory, because of just how appallingly bad some of these players have been this season, I I, I think that the I would play so four at the back. Um, and a three-man midfield uh, with Herrera and um, probably Fred and then Pogba. So Herrera and Fred kind of doing that terrier tackling kind of type thing between them and then Pogba a bit uh, more advanced, right? In theory, I would sort of look at that, but then... The problem I have is I wouldn't Herrera and Fred aren't really natural sitting midfielders. You'd need I think they work really well with someone like Matic at the base, except for the fact that Matic has been just terrible this season. Shocking, really. I, it's so bad. Um, but in again, the the hypothetical Matic who will sit, break up play, pick up the ball, and then pass it into the likes of Pogba. Herrera or or whoever else is on the pitch, then that would work with Herrera and Pogba. But it just hasn't. We haven't seen it. So um, yeah, I, I would just try uh, go for something different and try that maybe as a three because of the we know that they're good players. It's kind of just how you set it up. I would potentially even actually just go with Andreas Pereira at the base. Whenever I've seen him play. His passing range has been excellent. He's actually quite an aggressive little player. Positionally, he is pretty good, even at the base of that midfield where he's pl- when he has played there. And you he need to start playing him because, you know, there's yeah, starting to be reports he's, he's, he's that he's... not going to get games. He's going to yeah. go. But, um, but I, I'm talking about what I would do. And I would potentially just play him at the base in that passing 
role. And then Herrera, because in, in that kind of box-to-box running all over the place, studs up challenges on people. And um, Pogba <laughs> attacking, right? And and Fred could come in instead of Herrera as well, depending on how he's settling. But it's just a bit of a mess at the moment, to be honest with you. With Fellaini, we had Fellaini, uh, which is just depressing. And look, I, I get Fellaini scored the winner in midweek. And he is, an, I think, a useful option off the bench with 10 minutes to go and you're looking for to lump it forward. But he's not someone who's going to set the the tone in terms of if you start him in, in midfield, he's not going to set the tone for the match. He's not going to dictate play. He's not really a tackler. He's not um, he's not a passer. He's not high, highly creative. He's just a big lump. That he's a centre forward that isn't a centre forward. If that makes sense, you know, plays in midfield. He's a, just a big lump target man that plays in midfield, which is a really weird kind of combination so for mm. me uh, he's just an option so i'm not trying to blame everything on him but he's an option off the bench matic he's done he needs he's just i have no clue what he's thinking about at the moment i think his legs have gone his brain is gone uh it's just all a mess really <laughs> <laughs> i actually can't think of what our best midfield is at the moment all right well let's look for a little optimism uh you mentioned the midweek the midweek match that fellaini scored on the assister of course lukaku who then also breaks his Premier League's barren spell uh, at the weekend with a goal. Do you think this is kind of signifying that maybe Lukaku is back? Um, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, ve- I've been extremely disappointed with him this season. I was one of his biggest kind of supporters last year. I could see his game improving as the season went on. He went through a bit of a, a drought in the middle of last season, about eight games without scoring or something like that. And there was a bit of a concern, but you could see that his hold-up play was excellent. Uh, his touch was better. He was linking up play a lot better. He was—he's um, actually one of the better crossers of the ball in the club as well. He was picking up assists. So I thought, you know, and then uh, and then he had the excellent start to the World Cup as well, and overall was excellent during the World Cup. And I thought, wow, okay, he, we could have a player on our hands here. But he's come back after the break from the World Cup, and he's just. I have no idea what's going on. The guy is massive as well. I don't know if he's just put on so much muscle that he's even less mobile than he was before. Um, but everything about his game at the moment, I know he got that finish the other day, uh, the finish yesterday against Southampton was excellent. But aside from that, he wasn't that great during the match. Um, but maybe that's going to give him that confidence again to get to get going. And hopefully it does, because when he plays well, and we've seen him when he was at Everton, um, and he, we've seen it a little bit at United, when he's terrorising defenders, he is almost unplayable. We just haven't seen it this season. Um, and we actually rarely saw that kind of unplayable nature uh, from him last season. We saw the finishing and the heading ability and, and uh, for us, but we've not seen him really bully defenders. So... To me, if he's going to bulk up and put on all this muscle, why is he not sort of being more aggressive? And why is his hold-up play so weak? I thought Rashford was excellent yesterday. Mm. In general, like overall play, he he obviously his finishing is still lacking, but um, he got the two assists. He was direct. He was quick. He did hold up the ball well on occasion as well. So I, I just uh, to I, I've I am 
very disappointed in Lukaku this season. I thought in terms of mentality, he was the right kind of player, but he's somehow this season it's just, again, it's just gone wrong. And I, I, I'm not really sure why. It's interesting. But hopefully he is back. I don't know. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. It's interesting that you bring up um, that you haven't really seen him uh, at his best. And I, I think something that people will remember when he was at Everton is how many chances he would create for himself with his pace or with his strength. He'd either shoulder off a center back or he'd go terracing past half the defense um, and then just yeah. score right past the keeper. And it does seem like ever since he went to United, he waits for service rather than doing things like that. Is that partially what you're you're worried about? Sorry, say that again? Is that partially what you're worried about, that he, he is waiting for service and then the service isn't always there, where previously he would just yeah. kind of do so it his own? He's Yeah, and, and, and it might be the instructions he's getting from Mourinho, I don't know. But, you know, last season... He, he, this season he's been so static up front um, whereas last season when he would run even when he wasn't scoring goals he would still have run into those channels pick up the ball the number of times he picked up the ball in that wide right position cut on his left and put in an excellent cross I think he got three or four assists in this um, in sort of the January February time just doing that and um, but now he's just static in the middle of the pitch and I don't know what it is so at Everton, I think against Chelsea, he scored that goal from, he picked it up in his own half and ran down that left-hand side, just pace and skill and, and strength and just the awareness to know exactly where the defenders were and then the finish. I just haven't seen that at United. And yet, because you don't even see that anymore, the willingness to run into the channels, there's something not quite right there. And And I would say mentally, He's one of those players that comes across as extremely um, well, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, he's got he's strong mentally. So when he goes through bad patches, he doesn't let his head drop or hasn't done in the past. Um, and he's, you know, and he's an articulate person and he he does always look like he's trying to learn. When you see interviews with him, it's always interesting. He's an interesting person to speak to or listen to. But then just this season on the pitch, it's just that exact opposite of... Um, what I expect. There's no drive. There's no, um, almost no energy, no urgency. It, it's it's just an odd juxtaposition. Like when you see him in interviews, you sort of go, yeah, this guy, he wants to go on the pitch. He wants to do well. You know, it may not come off for him every time, but he's going to keep plugging away. Then you see him on the pitch and it's like, he's just almost not interested. But you could say the same for quite a lot of the players so i'm not again i'm not trying to just pick on him and and fellaini but there are a couple of players they're just a couple of players we talked about but it's just it seems to be running that theme seems to be running through the squad almost to almost every single person there are a few players that don't quite look like that but yeah i, I yeah so but it is worrying for sure yeah um coming to you now thomas to talk about wolverhampton kind of staying in the attack vein um, you came up out of the championships. You scored the most goals there last season. We were kind of sold as Premier League fans on this kind of juggernaut-esque scoring machine um, from Nuno and company. Then you come into this season, you're currently bottom five in goals scored. Um, could you diagnose that a little bit about what's changed in attack, or is it genuinely just the quality of opposition? 
Well, I think I said when we chatted in pre-season, I felt there was a misconception because people were calling us the Man City of the Championship. And, you know, I, I felt that was wide of the mark because we're a team that's built from the back. It's, it has always really been about defensive solidity. I know we scored the most. I think I'm right in saying we conceded the fewest, or you know, we had one of the best. Yeah, you were level with with the fewest as well. Yeah, and I know John Reddy got the golden glove for fewest goals conceded. Um, so I always felt our greatest strength was our defensive stability. Um, and yeah, I think there's been the step up in in quality in the Premier League. We've just found the going tough, you know, and we have created chances. I mean, um, we went to the Emirates. A few weeks ago, we definitely should have won there. We, you know, we scored, scored one goal. Their keeper made two or three saves. We hit the underside of the bar. We we squandered chances basically, and, and that's been the story of the the last six or seven games that we've lost against Tottenham. Kev, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw that game, but we, yeah. you know, uh, you know, from two 0 down and it looked dead and buried. We had easily enough chances to get that game back to three all for sure. Uh, you know, we 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 squandered the chances, so we. We're competing with teams, you know. It doesn't matter whether we're playing Cardiff or whether we're playing Man United or Tottenham or Arsenal. The games seem to always be quite similar in the respect that we don't concede a huge amount of chances and we don't create a huge amount of chances. But the problem is at the moment, we're just not taking the chances we're we're getting and we we seem to be getting punished every time the other team creates even a half chance. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. I, I, I just don't think we... Even though we play three three forwards effectively, um, it, it is it is effectively quite a, a defensive formation, and we we tend to drop deeper in the Premier League. And even that, so even though it's a three four three on paper, it's really a five at the back because those wing backs get pressed back much further, and then you've got two holding midfielders in Neves and Matinho. So really, you know, you've got a very solid defensive block, um, and then and then what we're looking to do a lot of the time is catch teams on the break. So I think it's a, a step up in quality. Um, perhaps we've been sussed out a little bit after those early, some of those early wins. Um, but yeah, just just difficult, difficult time really. And missed chances. You know, that's that's the problem. Yeah, you brought up the last couple of matches. Obviously, disappointing losses um, to Cardiff and Huddersfield, who you would have imagined, I'm sure that you would have beaten. That comes after, like you said, a positive performance against Tottenham, and then the draw against Arsenal. Um, but particular in these last two, do, do you feel like that has changed your perception of what your season will be like come the end of it? Or is it just kind of the ups and downs that come with a 38-match season? Well, I think it depends how you your mindset as a football fan, really. I think when you lose, I mean, we've lost something like five out of the last six. We're probably going to lose to Chelsea next week, and that'll be six defeats out of seven. And the football fan in you says, oh, you know, we're slipping down the table. Will we ever win a game again? <laughs> Is it going to be relegation scrap? Um, I don't know. I mean, I kept my feet on the ground at the start of the season when we were being bigged up by a lot of people and we were, you know, firmly in the top half of the table. I always felt we're a mid-table Premier League team. Um, and I think that's still where we'll finish, just probably just below mid-table. Um, so personally, I don't think it's really changed my perception. But certainly, you know, the Huddersfield really played us off the pitch. Um, we They thoroughly deserved to win that game, so that was very disappointing. Cardiff on Friday played exactly how we knew they'd play. They put a lot of balls into the penalty area. And we just didn't play our football, and, and they deservedly beat us. So, 
you know, I, I'm philosophical about it because I, I, I just know that in the Premier League, it doesn't matter who you're playing, it's, it's going to be a very difficult game and each team provides a unique challenge. So I think we've probably got as much chance against Chelsea next week as we've had against these two teams just by virtue of the fact that teams who get the ball down and want to play football, we tend to do better against. So um, so I'm not too downhearted at the moment. I, I still feel we'll, the equilibrium will be, we'll finish roughly where we are now, basically. Hmm, interesting. Um, the one other thing uh, coming into the season that I think a lot of people were looking forward to was seeing Diogo Hota, Jota, however we say that, yeah. um, considering the kind of numbers he was putting up last season in the championship after being featured heavily at the front end of the season and not really doing much. He's since been dropped. Um, it, are you concerned by that or is it almost optimistic that at some point he'll come back in and he'll be back in form? Well, I think he's going to, he's got to do better than he's done so far because he, he's going to be player. hard not to. Yeah, exactly. It'd be impossible not to. Um, he, he's a very good player. You know, he, he, it's not just with Wolves last season. Don't forget the season before that, he played for Porto, um, played some Champions League games. He's, he's not, you know, wet behind the ears. This isn't someone we've plucked out of obscurity. Portugal under 21, captain, I believe. So he, he's got something about him. I think what it is, is the step up was very difficult for him. I think he found the adjustment hard. I think the, the, the pace is that much quicker. He's not a player with an explosive turn of pace like Troyore or uh, Cavalier. He hasn't got that nippiness about him. Um, so really, we need to be supplying him the ball in the final third so he can create a yard and, and get his shots away. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, there's a lot more to come from him. Um, I think Nuno was right to pull him out of the firing line because he was he was struggling. And, you know, that's, you know, although we're not scoring a lot of goals, we've got a lot of players who can play in those wide positions. You know, we've got Helder Costa, we've got Cavalero who scored against Arsenal. We've got Traore, of course. Um, so we can rotate players around and I think he's right to do that. Um, but we could really do with him coming good because he's definitely one of the best finishers at the club. And as you rightly pointed out, we, we're not scoring enough goals. Um, and the chances are being created in most of the games. So it is about taking them. So I, I, I'm optimistic by the end of the season, he'll have a, at least a handful of goals and he'll be viewed in a much better light. And maybe he'll be one of those players, if we you know, we can stay up this season, who uh, will benefit from a, a tough first season and then he'll come back stronger next time. All right, we'll definitely look forward to seeing that. Uh, next up, we'll head into Player Watch, where with the crazy winter period upon us, which player do you think will get the most minutes for you in between now and the new year? Uh, well, if you're talking about... I assume we're excluding goalkeepers from this conversation, because uh, <laughs> I'd say Patricio is probably going to play most of the minutes, but um, outfield players, I think... Um, the only places we're completely consistent um, uh centre midfield and, and centre defence... Um, and Him I think, and as I uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think Neves is suspended against Chelsea, so I would have probably said him, but he's he's obviously going to miss the first game. So you're probably looking at um, either you know Connor Cody in defence or Willy Bolly, both of whom have been absolutely fantastic this season. I mean, Cody must be so close to getting an England call because he he looks so good. I mean, he's playing in the back three and maybe. Southgate's looking at it and thinking, um, you know, I'm not sure he could play in the back four if that's the system he wants to go with. But certainly he looks as good a centre-half as anyone I've seen in the Premier League this season. So, um, so yeah, so I'm going to big up Connor Cody and then bring his name into the conversation. 
at, uh, at United, it's probably going to be Fellaini, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> he's Jose's kind of go-to guy. I just don't get like Jose Mourinho is. What I don't understand is he kind of has his guys. He'll stick with them and stick with them and stick with them. And then out of nowhere, they'll kind of disappear and then take ages to come back. There's no kind of pattern to it. So, or not pattern, but there's no reason why he makes certain decisions. And uh, Fellaini, I think the, the, it was last season and he came back from injury and went straight back into the side against Sevilla. And it was just, he was awful, but, for some reason and and that's kind of since that match we've been it's almost like that match has been the turning point in the wrong direction for for Mourinho uh in terms of look players it we've got a lot of injuries um at the back so uh, Phil Jones will probably as long as he stays fit uh will probably get a lot of games um Luke Shaw was got a knock I think against Southampton so there's issues there um, it's difficult because he has changed it up so many times but at the moment this season uh, Matic seems to be his untouchable like can do no wrong and despite being one of the worst players in the team this year so it's, it's kind of those three players will get minutes I think with um, in in the next month just because Mourinho is so stubborn in that regard. Uh, I think he sees Matic as his kind of, in terms of personality-wise, um, his, his him on the pitch, if that makes sense, like a coach on the pitch. He described him as that uh, previously. And um, we've kind of seen that with managers in the past when they've got the, a player who can translate what he wants onto the pitch, then they can be quite, you know, they can really trust that. So, and, and he sees that in Matic. So I think Matic will get a lot of minutes for us. Um, and also because he's the only naturally um, sitting midfielder that we've got, really. Fellaini can play there, but we've already talked about why he's, that's not his best position. And, and all the other midfielders aren't natural sitting, holding midfielders. Um, so bizarrely, having spent, millions and millions on midfielders since Ferguson has left um, with Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin, Fellaini, Pogba, Matic, Herrera, Fred. We are still in a position where I would say we need a holding midfielder unless he's going to play Pereira, Pereira there. So, mm. yeah, it's a bit, bit odd. But Matic will get a whole ton of minutes, as always. Yeah, um, for Tottenham, I think this will come as a surprise to few, uh, but it's probably going to be Harry Kane just because there's no other alternative. <laughs> there's a chance that one of those matches is Lorente. I suppose one of them could be Sun. But even with that, the rest of the players are rotated so much. I mean, we've seen Eriksen and Delhi rested a lot. Now that we have so many wingers available, you've seen Sun, Lucas, Lamella, all these players kind of rotating and coming in and out of the team um we love to do a wing back rotation with rose finally back trippier will probably be back soon we'll probably see that again we're seeing a center back rotation which is why juan foyth played over toby alderweireld today um which again not personally a fan um but it genuinely seems like every position is in flux except for harry kane at the top of the spear and it is good that he's finally starting to 
round into form. Um, he still looks hit and miss a bit, but the numbers are at least finally backing him uh, after a slow start to the season. So hopefully that means there will be more goals and more points to come from us. But uh, hard to imagine anyone, uh, as Thomas said, that's not a goalkeeper uh, getting more minutes um, than, than Harry Kane for Tottenham. All right, and uh, now that we've talked about the winter period, we should mention that there are matches midweek, so we'll just preview these quickly. Uh, Thomas, not exactly an easy one for you guys, as you will be hosting Chelsea. Uh, what do you expect we'll see in this one? Um, well, I think we it's a difficult fixture for us because we're low on confidence. Um, Chelsea got back on track after getting taken apart by Tottenham with a good win against Fulham today. I think Fulham gave them a bit of a run for their money, though, which shows that they can be got at. I uh, don't think they're the finished product, Chelsea. don't think they're going to be challenging the title this year. Um, so I think there's a, there's a possibility that um, they could be vulnerable, particularly away from home. Winter, to be, you know, this is where it can get to be a little bit of a test um, for them. I don't think they'll, they'll fancy playing at Wolves. I mean, we've, we've got results against Man United and Arsenal, uh, Man City, um, so that they'll know that we're we're a difficult team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm pessimistic personally because of the results we've had of late and the little chinks in the armor I'm starting to see. Um, but I'm hoping that we we can keep it. You know, we're a team that generally do well when we concede. Well, like every team, I suppose, when we're conceding zeros and ones. So if we can concede a <laughs> a zero or one against Chelsea, I'll be very happy indeed. Um, I think I fancy us to score. So, um, yeah, I just don't know. don't know how it's going to go. But, um, yeah, re- really, really interesting game, I think, in prospect. Yeah, coming next to you, uh, Josh, you're going to host Arsenal, who are obviously flying high after today's win. Um, are, are you confident coming into this one, or is it just kind of your uh, persistent dread looming over this as, as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it, we've just been awful at home this season. Uh, I think the the players just there's I mean not that we've been great away either but you know particularly at home where you expect them to be more comfortable I think the crowd you know the the old traffic crowd is very good at sort of supporting the team the manager under Moyes under under Van Hal you know it's kind of like the crowd is generally not uh, overly negative but it's but it's very now at the moment it's very fragile the atmosphere it will start off you know as always a bit of optimism and whatever but then it it doesn't take much now for it to go quiet a lot of tenseness um in the crowd so and and then i think that transmits through to the players quite a bit um at the moment simply because the players themselves are fragile there's no one in that core team that are um really leaders like mentally and and they just want to stand up and be counted at the moment they're just all a little bit weak so at home we've been particularly bad and Arsenal like you say coming off today's win against um sort of their biggest like derby rivals they'll be very very confident um and we've got a glut of injuries at the back so it's going to be a difficult match Arsenal will be coming in with a lot of confidence Old Trafford isn't a fortress anymore and it's difficult, really, for me to say we're going to take this and we're going to go and win. There, it's we're just not the form, but doesn't suggest that at all. The only thing is, um, 
Mourinho does have this knack of pulling something out of the bag when he's really right up against it. And at the moment he is. So a win against Arsenal would be, it's not going to turn things around for the season or we're not going to forgive everything, but it will just be that little bit of light that he's looking for. And he does have that knack. So that's what I'm sort of relying on. I'm not basing anything so I'm not going to predict a United win, but I'm going to say if we do win, it will be based on some kind of it. It, it won't be some. Uh, it, it will be more of a, a tactical win as opposed to a, um, you know, because we don't really have a the swashbuckling style of play. We'll mm. see, but uh, yes, yeah, so I'm not. As you can tell, I'm not massively confident. I just, <laughs> uh, but but with the players we have and the manager, like Mourinho's not. He's not. He's just—he's going for a massively difficult patch, but he's clearly a top-quality manager, and we've got players in, in the side that, and we know that they can perform at a really high level because we've seen it. We own, but it's just that we see it. We don't see it often enough. So, it, if those two can link up again, you know, then you could get the win. This has been a home banker for so long. This get this that fixture has, hasn't it? And uh, even when United have struggled in recent years. They've always had it when Wenger's come to town. He just always felt like Man United were going to win this game. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting uh, yeah. to see how Emery sets up there and um, the difference in the Arsenal performance at Old Trafford. They'll come with confidence, you know, different manager. They're just they're playing good football. Obviously, the win against Tottenham, they they'll come with confidence. But hopefully, you know, United players are de- want are determined to show a little bit of sort of grit like um and that's all i'm kind of relying on at the moment because there's no sort of discernible rhythm to our play or anything like that so i mean you've got to say they come to old trafford as favorites which is weird mm. yeah i think they did but i'm going to say right now i think man united are going to win that game just because <laughs> um, just because i um you just see it so often that a team has a big win particularly a derby game um and then the next game particularly when it's a midweek fixture they can just fizzle out, and I just wonder if that might be the case. After you know such a high, um, they might come back down to earth. So you you heard it here first. If, uh, <laughs> I'm setting myself up for all kinds of abuse from <laughs> Arsenal fans on Twitter now, Anna, but um, you know, I, I, if you're an Arsenal fan, I'm sorry. I hope it's not the case, but um, I don't but think yeah. they'll be feeling too bad today, regardless. Yeah, yeah, they'll probably let me off, but uh, yeah, I'm, my, I'm putting my flag in the sand and saying Man United win there. Yeah, we, I think we set you guys up excellently for a win midweek after letting them win today to, to like let them get their energy out, get all excited uh, before you bring the hammer down. Um, for um, Tottenham, we're going to be playing Southampton and basically by any conceivable uh, metric we should win. Um, Kane has six goals in his last five against them. Deli Ali has eight goals in five matches against them. Uh, the last four times we played Mark Hughes, we've won by at least four goals. Um it's looking good, um, and maybe we'll have the opposite reaction from Arsenal. Maybe that'll kind of put a boot up our ass to really push on. Um, again, we, we, in theory, had a good week. I mean, getting a win out of either Chelsea or Arsenal and ensuring we have a chance to advance in the Champions League was very important. Just the way it happened, I think, was a real kick in the gut. But um, in theory, Tottenham should be fine. I think we'll see more of the aforementioned rotation um that I was talking about earlier so you'll probably see maybe Sun and Ericsson come out probably Lucas will start 
Um, I think this match will come a little too soon for uh, Trippier to come back, but I would assume that we'll see Rose at left back instead of Ben Davis. Um, but it, it'll be an interesting one to see uh, how we come out against them. But um, outside of exactly how we'll line up, historically, this match looks uh, set up for a win for Tottenham Hotspur. All right, that will do it for us today. It was a terrific pleasure speaking with you, Thomas and Josh. If you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you, now would be a good time. Yep, uh, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, sorry. No, checking on each other's toes. Classic. <laughs> um, you go first, Jossie. All right, well, thanks a lot uh, for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, Doc underscore Joshy. Um, and you'll see me on various uh, YouTube channels, Talking Football, and obviously podcasts like this. Uh, yeah, so check me out. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, it's Thomas uh, from wolvesblog.com. Uh, you can get me on uh, Twitter at wolvesblog, or just log on to the website where there's always uh, articles and interesting conversations going on about Wolves and the uh, upcoming teams we're going to be playing against. Um, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, you can find my fantasy writings at Goal.com and on ESPN, where this week I'm going to be punished even further because I'll have to write about how legitimate Aubameyang is after that match, which will be fun or something. Um, but go check that out uh, if you're interested in such things. Also, we have a championship podcast and a fantasy podcast that come out through this very channel. So if you're interested in those things, check those out as well. But yeah, thanks again to you two for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.